Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing Canadian quarterback Trey Ford. My guy, running a fast 40-yard dash at the University of Buffalo's NFL Pro Day. The Riders signing ratio-breaking offensive tackle Jamal Campbell. The upcoming CFL Combine. Mm, Former CFL All-Star linebacker Alex Singleton signing with the Denver Broncos. And two-time CFL head coach Corey Chamberlain getting hired by a USFL team. But first. Sportsnet's Arash Madani reported on the Rod Peterson show that Genius Sports, the CFL's new data and technology partner, is pushing the CFL to change to four-down football. Genius Sports has since refuted the report in a statement they made to Stampeders play-by-play man Mark Steven. Though the issue remains a highly contested debate in CFL circles regarding the number of downs. What do we make of this, fellas? Well, here's the thing. Randy Ambrosi has talked about doing all kinds of research and and polling people. And this is from three down, by the way, in January, there was an Angus Reid poll done at the end of December 2021 that actually asked Canadians. This is like. Canada's leading polling company asking Canadians about what they wanted for downs. 16% of respondents indicated that their interest in the CFL would decrease if the league were to adopt all NFL rules, including the number of downs. 14% said it would increase their interest. Now, a lot of the people saying it would increase are younger folks. uh, But when polled just specifically regarding the number of downs, it was a wash. It was 14% either way. So in other words, we know that diehard fans don't want this and we know that the average Canadian is neutral on it. So to me, I don't know why this is a debate. We have actual, this is not a Twitter consensus. This is not somebody saying, well, I think this is a real poll done by a professional organization that is one of the top in our country for gathering information regarding the sentiment of Canadians. And it's pretty clear. There's nothing to be gained. By going to four down. So, frankly, I don't know why this is a topic of conversation. This is a waste of time, in my opinion. As one of the youngest people involved in, in the CFL media, this perception that the younger demographic is not tuning into the CFL because of some sort of hesitancy regarding the rules that they don't like three downs is absolutely absurd to me. Like, I'm, I'm 24. I live in the lower mainland in BC. This is one of the worst areas in terms of CFL fandom in the country. I've heard every single argument against the CFL, every joke, every criticism from people my age as to why they don't tune in. You know what I haven't heard ever? A criticism of the rules. That's just not an element in it. Young people don't watch the CFL because they don't like to watch things 
that that they feel are inferior. And there's an inferiority complex in terms of the CFL being less talented than the NFL. It's not the big show. The NFL is now at their t- fingertips more than it ever has been in history. And so they don't tune into the CFL game. To me, changing the rules, going to four downs, making it more similar to the NFL is quite frankly, the only thing you could do to make it look more inferior. You're taking away the one element of uniqueness you have to argue, no, 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 it's a different game. Different athletes play it. So we're not less than the NFL. We're a different sport. You remove that. There's no argument to be had in that regard. You just look like a farm league. And for me, I mean, there, there isn't exactly hordes of young people going out to AHL games or NBA G League games. That's not a thing. People want to watch the top league. Don't make yourself look like a farm league. Even the AHL, there's not a lot of people that show up to Toronto Marley's games, for example. So I totally agree with both of you guys. The only way that this topic is smart from a CFL perspective is to keep the conversation going in the offseason. We know it in a lot of ways. March and April are normally months where compared to the other months in the offseason, they're down months overall. Now, for us at Three Down Nation, that's not the case, man. We always bring the fire and shout out to the readers who are keeping us going strong. But from a countrywide perspective and a general fan interest perspective, this gets them online, on social media, talking about the game. And it has for a couple of years now. So if this is the tactic by the league to keep themselves in the conversation, then I applaud them for it. Although I don't necessarily think that's the case because Randy Ambrosi needs to make sure that he doesn't ruin his tenure as a commissioner by not guaranteeing or sorry, by guaranteeing that they would never go to four downs. There's going to be a lot of people now that are going to point the finger at Ambrosi. And I'm talking about fans around the league and ultimately potentially call for his head if he lets this go on much longer. The debate still can wage on, but Ambrosi as a Canadian who's played in the CFL, played university football as well in this country, is not going to at least show his side of it. And I think it's really dangerous for him. I, I think it's dangerous overall. And, and look, uh, for, for full transparency, historically speaking, March has been our worst month annually for traffic. And that's us bringing the news every single day, big and small. If it's Canadian football, it's on three down nation all year round. But March, that is true, has been a dead spot. I thought CFL week did a great job of addressing that back in, in 17 and 18, when that event was held in Regina and Winnipeg respectively. I also think it's great to have a conversation about how to make the CFL game more interesting. I also think for people who are proponents of four downs, there's this misconception that, Oh, if you don't want four downs, you want the CFL to stay exactly the same as it is now. I've yet to hear anybody make that point. That's such a, it's almost a straw man argument. You know, no, I think the CFL should change. And guess what? It changes every year, right? The rules are never identical from one year to the next. Personally, I love our own Joel Gasson's idea to make punts like timeouts, right? Give each team four punts a game. Use them wisely, guys. If it's third and two in the first quarter, you're not going to use your punt. You're going to go for it. If you want to limit punts, then let's just limit punts. Don't don't give offenses a free down and, and make your game a, a more watered down version of the NFL. But anyways, I, I think there are other debates that could be had. And if this is just for the headlines, 
to me, there's 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 better ways to make that happen. There are. You make a good point there, Hodge. That the CFL every offseason undergoes conversations in terms of how they can tweak the game and make it faster and more entertaining. And the defensive coaches will tell you now more favorable to the offenses. So it's not like the CFL doesn't look at its game every offseason and think, how can we make it better and ultimately more entertaining? On the flip side of that, there are people on the football operations side, you know, longtime general managers, scouts, head coaches, coaches throughout the league that are sick of the presidents in the league and the people on the business operations side of the league as well, looking at the game and saying that that is the issue. Were points down overall in 2021? Yes. Has there been a downward trend? Yes. But in my mind, that's not necessarily due to the lack of quality of players or product on the field. I think we've seen a shift in recent years to a little bit more of a conservative CFL or like some of the defensive guys will tell you a more defensive CFL. Like maybe the defenders are getting better in this league at playing defense and keeping teams out of the opposing end zone. So in my mind, I don't think that that's necessarily the issue in terms of what the CFL is looking for. I think the league right now, when they have these conversations behind the scenes, whether they want to admit it or not, about potentially switching to the number of downs, they think that that's going to drive more revenue. But the football people want the business operations people to be held to the same standard there. We've had multiple GMs, guys, in recent years, like since we've been covering the league, be fired like the next year after <laughs> they won a Grey Cup. So could you imagine the same sort of judgment, let's say, being put on the business operations side? Like Randy Ambrosi came into the league and in 2017 at his state of the dress, state of the league address at Grey Cup, said he wanted double league revenues. Now, we've had a pandemic, but there hasn't even been anything tangible added to the bottom line otherwise that would be trumpeted far and wide. So four downs is not going to solve the revenue problem. And I agree. I hate to say it, but it's facts. With the football people, they go out and bust their butts, and they're not paid a lot of them very well, to be quite honest, because the cap is now limited how much they can be paid and how many people can actually be doing that job. So they have to do more work for a smaller amount of play. And we still have lots of talented athletes, as you guys well know, on the field in the CFL. They need to be marketed much better. And Ambrosi and some of the other presidents are really excited about this deal with genius sports and think it can be new age and get them in front of new fans. But the riveting revenue arm, excuse me, the riveting aspect of the game isn't necessarily the issue. The revenue arm needs to be better and be held to that standard that coaches and GMs and the guys on the football side are. It's not just the football ops people who are tired of this narrative. It's the fans, right? You can say that any press is good press, but that's not the case. I think uniquely with this CFL more than any other league, your diehard fans care about this league like it's a part of them. Not just one team, the whole league, the tradition of it, the history of it. It's a piece of them. So when you challenge that every offseason, when you're talking to the XFL, when you're talking about changing the, the number of downs and fundamentally shifting the game, that hurts people. That puts mental stress on your diehard fan base. They get tired. They wonder why they care about you. You're making fans doubt their investment into your league. That, to me, is just a terrible business decision on every front. 
Yeah, and I'll go back to the research because Randy Ambrosi has talked about Genius doing its independent research. We're not privy to that, of course, but we are privy to the Angus Reid poll. In it, there was an overwhelming sentiment from diehard or frequent CFL fans. That's how Angus Reid labeled it, who were 17% net negative regarding the possible complete adoption of an NFL-style game. So you're absolutely right. There is, among diehard fans, not any hunger for a four-down game. Shorten the play clock or or, or go the John Huffnagel route. Bring the hashes closer together. I've talked to defensive coaches who think that that would increase scoring. Let's tweak, but but let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's already a lot of rules, though, that are helping out the offense, to be quite honest. So I would like to let them play it out a little longer, right? We just got to remember, we had a year off during the pandemic where the guys weren't playing football. They weren't developing at that level. I think that's why we've seen, in my mind, a lack of that next wave of quarterbacks coming up who might not have had that experience or potential playmakers to take over for the veterans. So let's let the players, just like the league is going to be allowed to do so, recover from the pandemic because the league's going to have to do so financially. And I think now that the players are back out, you know, we've seen videos popping up online, Nick Arbuckle throwing to Manny Arsenal in the offseason. Like guys are allowed to be out and be doing this stuff more. So I think the level of play will go up. And there are defense coaches that will tell you, the offenses are already favored on the big Canadian field. Well, they are, but we also can't have another 2021 season. I love the CFL, but I, I would agree the product was stale at times. Let's keep it up. I also think we need to liven up some other aspects of that, but that's that's conversation for another day. The Toronto Argonauts released homegrown offensive tackle Jamal Campbell before he was due a $7,500 offseason roster bonus. The veteran out of York University was set to be the CFL's highest paid offensive lineman in 2022, earning approximately $200,000 and has since signed with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders for roughly $150,000. Is that a smart move by the Riders? A very smart move by the Riders, Hodge. Uh, they get an upgrade at that right tackle spot as a Canadian over Brett Boyko, who I think was better last year than he had been in BC, but still is not, in my mind, a top-tier uh, ratio-breaking starter in this league. Jamal Campbell is somebody who has that ability, and they get him at a significant discount from what the going rate would have been if he had hit free agency earlier and hadn't been cut uh, later in the season. So this is a, a steal in terms of monetary value, and they'll be able to adjust their ratio accordingly, probably take a Canadian defensive tackle out of the lineup, be able to put Jamal Campbell in there, get another American pass rusher on the field, which is always good for those CFL defenses that are dominating right now. The Argos had actually tried to trade Campbell, but a lot of teams around the league looked at Toronto's salary cap situation and were like, no, nah, we don't <laughs> need to give up any assets. He's probably going to come free, even though the Argos actually did pay Campbell one $7,500 bonus already earlier in the offseason. So it was a difficult move for Pinball Clemens to have to make because the Argos have really embraced having and trying to keep around those homegrown products. And for me, it was kind of surprising in a way that they would let him go or not try to restructure his contract before free agency and have a way to keep him on the team because the riders are sitting there saying, this is a great get for, uh, for us. We get him at a decent value and an area of major need for Saskatchewan in a year where they're going to host a great cup. Yeah. To me, this is just such a head scratcher from the Argos. Jamal Campbell's in his prime. 
He was he was a mid round pick in 2016. He was not coming out of York University as a finished product. He was coming in as a project, and they invested a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of energy into making him one of the CFL's I think better right tackles and arguably the best ratio breaking tackle in the CFL outside of future Hall of Fame right tackle Chris Van Zyl. But to me, you bring in a 30, and I've talked to people around the league about this. You bring in a 35-year-old running back in Andrew Harris, who's making a buck 65, highest paid running back in the league. And then you don't have room for your Toronto-born, like locally developed offensive lineman, who's also really active in the community and helping you reach out to like local charitable initiatives and such. That, that to me is a massive head scratcher while you're bringing in, I'm, not, I, I'm a huge Andrew Harris fan but you're bringing in an aging running back essentially at the expense of your homegrown tackle. That, that to me does not make sense. And that's what I'm talking about Hodge in terms of managing the money, right? Like you could have gone to Campbell before free agency and said, look, we want to keep you, but it's probably not going to be at this 200 K value. We need to trim that down. And then when you go into free agency, you want to bring in a guy like Andrew Harris or whatever other moves you want to make, then you can fit in under the salary cap. So to me, I totally agree. I don't really understand the move because Argos have continued to say, hey, we want to pull together. We want to keep our homegrown guys here. They bring back Roy Mechie to the six. So I just have a hard time understanding why they didn't go about this in a different way to keep Campbell and still get some of the other pieces that they were able to land in free agency. I think it would have been possible. And hey, we've talked about it on here before in terms of the salary cap. And JC had that great breakdown, which is still up on the site with every team's projected salary cap for the 2022 season, go over the salary cap. Just pay that extra $99,000 to keep Campbell with the Argos. I'm serious. It's worth it in my mind from a marketing perspective because he's a local kid. Agreed. Ultimately, running backs don't create their own production. Offensive linemen create production for running backs. So bringing in Andrew Harris doesn't matter much if you can't trust that right tackle spot and the Riders have put Jamal Morrow or whoever ends up starting at that spot for the Riders in a much better situation by bringing in Jamal Campbell. Canadian QB Trey Ford ran a 4-4-5 40-yard dash. Yes, you heard that right. A 4-4-5-40 at the University of Buffalo Pro Day in front of scouts representing 25 different CFL and NFL teams. Dunk, could the Heck Crichton Trophy winner really be NFL bound? Yes, man. Let's start speaking it into existence. <laughs> a real talk, though. There's a lot of NFL interest in Ford, and I want to specify NFL interest. There were over a double-digit number of NFL teams at that University of Buffalo Pro Day that saw him run that fast 40 and also throw the ball extremely well. He's an athletic quarterback. And we've seen guys in the NFL like Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson over recent years really jump forward the idea of shorter, more athletic quarterbacks being able to be productive. So NFL teams are doing the background research on Ford. They're talking to Chris Bertoia, his head coach from the University of Waterloo, and doing everything else that NFL teams would do with draft prospects. Now, there is a chance that he gets picked in the later rounds, but I think it's ultimately more likely if indeed he does sign an NFL contract, that that comes in the form of an undrafted agreement with the team. And that might be more beneficial because then he can look at the depth charts of teams that are interested and pick the best situation. To me, the key for Ford is going to be 
the team that's committed to developing him for the long term. So hopefully he can find that team and ultimately ink a pack with that team as well. It would be the first quarterback from a Canadian university to sign a contract with an NFL team since I believe it's 1982 when Dan Faraday from the University of Toronto was actually selected in the NFL draft. Jamie Bone was in the NFL as well in 1980 out of what was the University of Western Ontario at the time, but is now Western University. So it's really a situation here that hasn't happened in decades. And I definitely think there's a real shot for Ford to put his signature on an NFL contract. To your yeah, earlier point, to ahead, your Jason. earlier punk there, uh, point there, Dunk, uh, I think that decision as a UDFA to be able to choose the place to go for Ford will be absolutely vital because he's got all the tools. He's crazy athletic. He's got all the arm strength uh, you could want. I saw that when I watched him down at Texas, in Texas at the College Gridiron Showcase. Probably had the best arm of any quarterback there, and boy, is he fast. The two things that are going to be hurdles for him going to the next level is, one, his height. He's not particularly tall. He's not particularly heavy either, which is a knock for NFL teams, but no longer, uh, you know, it's it's no longer uh, eliminating you from from contention based on some of these smaller, faster quarterbacks that are having success these days. But the bigger thing is his ability to read an American defense. When I saw him live, he really did struggle with that in the scrimmage periods in Texas, just never being familiar with with how to read an eleven man defense. He's got all the intelligence for him. That's not a question. It's whether the team that ultimately signs him is going to give him the time to get to know their system, learn a defense that's unfamiliar to him, and show off how how high his skill set really can be. Because if they're looking to just give him one training camp, you know, a couple of weeks just to see if he flashes athletically, that's not an ideal situation for a guy that's going to take some time to get up to speed with the American game. Yeah, to me, Ford is the kind of guy like he, he's going to he's very intelligent. He's going to interview really well with these teams. And he's the type of player who's going to be successful, whether he is in or out of football. Like he is just mm-hmm. a, a extremely competent young man. And I think that bodes well for his chances. You mentioned the size, JC. We've seen quarterbacks six feet and under get picked first overall in the NFL draft multiple times in the recent history of that draft. So I I agree. Size has never mattered less in the NFL than it does now. Um, It's not 1975 anymore. They're not looking for six foot four you know, anchors back there to stand in the pocket and chuck it. They want players who can move the ball with their legs. And for Ford, you know, yeah, is he going to walk onto an NFL roster in 2022? No, but you mentioned it. He's a project. He just has to find the right team who's willing to take on that project and say, hey, we're willing to invest one, two or three years into having a guy like you on our PR, potentially be an emergency quarterback and really develop because I do agree with you, JC. He has all the tools we've seen. We've seen Chris Streveler make the jump from the CFL to the NFL. I'm not saying that Ford is, is Chris Streveler, but I think his arm is at least as good as Chris Streveler. So we, there is precedent for a guy like Ford making the jump or at least an athletic quarterback with uh, maybe not an elite arm making the jump. And I think that he could do it. The change in my mind in recent years that is really helping Ford is the expansion of the practice rosters in NFL. And if a team really likes them and can see 
what he might be in the long term. The fact that you can now have more players on your practice roster and an intriguing prospect like Ford in this case at the quarterback position makes it more likely that you could stick that guy around for a little while and develop him and get a look at him here and there in training camp and live situations and perhaps in the preseason and take that long-term approach. So I think that's really the benefit here. I believe, JC, you probably have the specifics on this, but it used to be 10 on the practice roster. Now it's 12 and might even be expanding potentially in the future on the NFL CBA. Yeah, I, I don't have the specifics on that dunk, but it plays a major factor. I, I look at, we've seen success from some of these guys that have similar skill sets to Ford that have gone undrafted. The guy I'm thinking of is Tyler Huntley with the Baltimore Ravens, who goes in, backs up Lamar Jackson, but can come in and, and win a start for you. And his big knock was he was incredibly skinny. And that's something we've discussed about Trey Ford at the U-sports level, how that translates to the CFL. Now, Ford, I believe he weighed in about 200 pounds when I was down in Texas. I'm not sure what he is currently, but he's typically been a skinnier quarterback. NFL teams are going to worry about whether he's got the frame to hand up to the physical pounding that he will have to take going up against NFL caliber defensive linemen. But if you can hit on a guy on an undrafted deal, like the Ravens did with Tyler Huntley, who has all the other skill sets necessary to succeed, but it's just lacking maybe one attribute. Um, you're playing with house money. You are. It's 16 is the number on practice rosters that you can have now. And I believe, you know, wow. just a few years ago, it was 10. So we're talking about an increased number of spots. Now I'm talking about this also with relation to the CFL, that that's holding some more talent in the NFL, because obviously if you're on a practice roster, you're that close to be on an NFL active roster. But the fact that it's 16 now, and that's a great comparison with Huntley in Baltimore, JC exactly how you could see Ford getting into the NFL and potentially earning an opportunity. I think I already know who Dunk's going to say for this, but boys, the CFL combine is this weekend. All three of us are going to be there, which I'm super excited about. I'm curious to know who is the player that you're most looking forward to seeing perform live in front of CFL scouts. Dude, this is easy. Okay. First of all, I want to say, I do not think that Trey Ford should run another 40-yard dash, potentially for the rest of his life, unless an NFL team really wants him to, because he's done that. He's shown he's fast. But Ford's going to be certainly intriguing to see in this setting, because I think he's going to be the best player on the field. And that's rare to say. We know it with Canadian quarterbacks, as much as I love him and love them as a group, but Ford's going to be the best player in my mind at the combine potentially overall from an athletic perspective and his potential down the road. So for me, I know we just talked about him and an obvious one, as you mentioned, Hodge, but it's Mr. Trey Ford. For me, Ford, uh, both the Ford brothers and both the Philpot brothers are somebody I've been able to see in person. So they're going to be the stars of this combine. I don't think there's any debate over that. They're going to blow it up in every athletic category, but I've already seen them. So I'm going to go someplace different here. I want to see two of the offensive linemen that I haven't seen. I want to see Peter Kazuska from the University of Alberta, and I want to see Zach Pelahos from the University of Ottawa. These are two guys I think are going to be potential first-rounders. I've already seen Noah Zare and uh, Zach Fry in person. They impressed me down in Texas. I want to see how these two stack up physically, how they handle the one-on-ones, how they move around on the field. 
For me, I'm looking forward to seeing two players who I think have the best chance of going first overall in the draft. That is Deontay Knight, defensive lineman out of the out of Western University. Uh, he was already number one in my mock draft, but Terrell Richards out of Syracuse is the other guy who I think has a very serious chance of being selected first overall by the Edmondson Elks. We know that Deontay Knight was in Buffalo for that pro day. His numbers didn't come out like Trey and Terrell Fords. I think he's going to need to show at the combine that he is an elite level athlete at six foot four and 275 pounds. And as for Richards, by the way, Chris Jones, head coach and GM of the Elks, was in Buffalo for that pro day, and he's already had dinner with Terrell Richards. So we know he's looking at these two guys very seriously for that potential number one pick. I'm very interested to see who has a day, because if one of them does and the other falls off, I think that could seriously play into who the Elks take with the top pick in the 2022 CFL draft. And let's remember about Chris Jones. He loves athletic dudes. That's no secret. And it's going to be a difficult decision for him here if indeed it comes down to those two guys between Richards and Knight because Knight plays better on tape and Richards is definitely going to be the more athletic of just those two. He's an explosive linebacker, admittedly had some issues while he was at Syracuse. But those are the types of guys that Jones like likes and oh by the way they play on defense so he could really get his hands on them and develop them and if you're Jones you got to remember just a few years ago he passed up on taking Alex Singleton do you think he wants to do that again with the linebacker that he think could be really good I don't think so but Knight's gonna make a strong case some slightly under the radar names that I'll also have an eye on uh, Riley Borsma uh, from the University of Regina and Vincent Forbes Montbleau from Laval blew up their respective uh, regional combines and got invites to the national, seeing how they stack up against some of these high level uh, receivers that have been invited already uh, directly to the national combine will be very interesting to me. Two-time CFL all-star Alex Singleton signed with the Denver Broncos after the Philadelphia Eagles chose not to tender him. Is that an ideal fit for the tackling machine? It could be a great situation when you look at what the Broncos have on defense, but more specifically now on offense with Russell Wilson coming in there. They're certainly a contender in that division, and a lot of people will you now a Super Bowl contender because Wilson's under center with guys like Jerry Judy to throw to there. A very intriguing situation for Singleton to go into. I quite honestly thought he would get paid more on the open market, but – as you mentioned in the past, JC, linebacker has come down in value across the NFL. It's essentially quarterback tackles and pass rushers that are getting paid the bulk of the money under the salary caps in the NFL, even though it's a lot in terms of a big cap number. But to me, I really like the fit in Denver, and I'm curious to see what Single can, can do with the Broncos and Wilson. Yeah, I'd forgotten that Alex Singleton was in training camp with the Seattle Seahawks back in 2015, the year before he got drafted by the CFL. So him and Russell Wilson have been teammates before. He talked about that when he addressed the media in Denver saying, hey, I know what this guy can do. He'd already been to two Super Bowls, of course, by that point of his career in 2015. So I'm excited to see what Singleton does. I know that the Broncos were awful on special teams, looking at some of the numbers in 2021. I know they want to help out or they want Singleton to help out with that. And I'm sure he'll get some reps on 
defense as well. He probably won't be the 11th tackler in the NFL again, as he was with the Eagles in 2021, depending on how much he plays, of course, on defense. But I think it's a good fit. And boys, this AFC West is unbelievably loaded. Man, I just hope that division doesn't feast on itself too badly before we get to the playoffs. The real question to me is whether Singleton can sneakily steal a starting job out from underneath uh, Josie Jewell, who was a fourth round pick a, a couple years ago. I think they have very similar skill sets and Singleton's always a guy who's punched above his weight class. I don't think they have him penciled in necessarily as a day one starter right now. They really value his special teams addition, but I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up getting the bulk of the reps down the line this season. What's happened with Singleton in the past, and we've seen it with how quickly he picked up the CFL game, is the dude is a baller, right? He might not be the most athletic guy or explosive, but when he gets in a defense and understands the scheme, he flat out makes plays. So I think that's going to be a heated competition for him to get defensive reps. And I would imagine in the conversations with the Broncos, they've talked about playing special teams and also the opportunity to get in the rotation on defense and at least be in competition for, as you mentioned, JC, that starting job in Denver. Hodge, you sat down with former CFL defensive lineman, Brian Hall, the outspoken one, who talked about the 2015 East final being the most painful loss of his entire career. Can you shed some light on it? Well, this is the surprising thing. And by the way, this is part of a series we're working on every Thursday morning. We're going to have an article highlighting a former CFL player in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Check out the article tomorrow. Chad Cackert is telling the behind-the-scenes story of how he learned Corey Boyd had been cut in 2012, which is outstanding. Can't miss. But the reason this took me aback is, first of all, Brian Hall was part of the 2014 Ticats team that lost the Grey Cup in heartbreaking fashion when they were charged with an illegal blocking penalty and what would have been a game-winning punt return touchdown by Brandon Banks. And he was also involved in the 2011 AFC Championship game where, where Baltimore's kicker, Billy Cundiff, missed a 32-yard field goal to send that game to overtime, which they lost to some loser named Tom Brady, who I guess was pretty good. Anyways... To me, this was this was and by the way, 2015 East final for the uninitiated or those who need a reminder. That was the miracle on Bank Street game where Henry Burris chucked it up to Greg Ellingson. If you go back and watch that play, Brian Hall came within about an inch of knocking that ball out of Henry Burris's hands. And that was, the, of course, the, the touchdown that that brought the Red Blacks to that great cup game in Winnipeg in 2015. They didn't win it. They lost to Chris Jones and the then Edmondson Eskimos, now Edmondson Elks. But, you know, it was a great conversation with Brian. I was so happy that he took the time to chat with us. We got it. Let's go right into it. Hodges, heritage moment. This is a day early, March 24th. On this day in 1945, Lieutenant Colonel Jeff Nicklin was killed in action during the Second World War at the age of 32. The Winnipeg native spent seven seasons playing for his hometown Blue Bombers from 1934 to 1940 and was named a West Division All-Star three times, won a great cup in 1939. The Jeff Nicklin Memorial Trophy was created in 1946 and has since been awarded to the most outstanding player in the West Division. Though not formally retired, the Blue Bombers no longer circulate Nicklin's number 28. Boys, we're going way back to this one, all the way to 1945. But every time I read about Jeff Nicklin, I can't help but marvel at not only his accomplishments, of course, on the field, but also off the field. Full credit to you, Hodge, for pulling one way back out of the archives, man. You never know where these Hodge to Heritage moment are come from. 
You want to know how much of a nerd I am, John Hodge? I have I have the video of Jeff Nicklin's final touchdown catch before he was uh, he was killed in action on my phone right now. Wow. The T-Bowl, which was a game between the Canadian Armed Forces and the uh, American Armed Forces in London uh, during the Blitz. They had Spitfires uh, on standby in case there was a, a bombing raid during it. Uh, and, and the Canadians won by a score of 16 to 6 with the winning touchdown going to Jeff Nicklin, the last he ever scored. Well, if there is a bigger CFL nerd than me, it's you. So that seems appropriate. We now go to the three-minute drill powered by Jiffy Lube. Canadian tight end Anthony O'Claire signed a one-year contract extension with the Houston Texans that he said was all about comfort with the organization. Does that make sense? It does. He scored his first touchdown there this past year. I bet he gets more in 2022. Former CFL head coach Corey Chamberlain is back in professional football ranks, having been named the defensive backs coach of the Birmingham Stallions in the USFL. It's nice to see him back in the pros, isn't it? It really is. I I think he deserved another CFL opportunity, and it's unfortunately that he didn't get one. Canadian defensive lineman Christian Covington re-signed with the Los Angeles Chargers, my boy from Vancouver College. Is that a worthwhile move? It is, but the thing I don't like about them being in L.A. now is you can't sing the song anymore. San Diego, Super Chargers. I'll put a different spin on it. Uh, You interviewed CFL prospect DB Eric Sutton, who says he could run a sub- 4-3, 4-3, 40-yard dash at the combine? Is this all pomp and circumstance and smoke and mirrors, or is it real? Well, he said two years ago he ran a laser 4-2-8 after undergoing surgery, and he has witnesses. Now, he is also running a 40-yard dash at his pro day ahead of the combine on Thursday of this week, March 24th. So we might get a sneak peek at Sutton's 40-yard dash. You never know. You never know. The guy's a burner. Former CFL All-Star Brandon Zilstra signed an extension with the Carolina Panthers. Is that an ideal fit? I think it is. They they really liked him last season. Uh, they gave him more opportunities than he's ever had. I'd say stay right where you are. Continue on that trajectory. Former CFL receiver Corey Grant has been named the head coach at Carleton University. Is that a prudent hire? It really is. He's a guy that ever since he got into the coaching ranks, to me, seemed like he would fit this role really well as a Canadian University head coach, and we'll see what he can do with the Ravens program. Abi Khan narrowly defeated Willard Reeves in the Manitoba by-election on Tuesday in a battle of former Blue Bombers off the field. Did that result surprise you, though, Mr. Hodge? It did not surprise me because the district of Fort White has traditionally been very conservative. What did surprise me is how close the vote was. Khan very narrowly edged out Reeves. And I'm interested to see if Reeves runs again in the next provincial election. I think he will. Canadian linebacker Nakasan Yeka announced his retirement at the age of 27. Is that a big loss for the Elks? With all due respect to Nakasan Yeka, who's a, a great player, I don't think it's a huge loss. Uh, he was more of a depth special teams piece. I think they'll be able to find a body in this draft to, to be able to replace him. Sergio Castillo says his existing relationships with Chris Jones and G. Roy Simon led him to sign in Edmonton. Does that make sense? It does, but I mean, you miss a couple field goals and that relationship is going to change real quick. The Riders <laughs> signed 6'8", 320-pound offensive lineman Maurice Simba. 
that a smart move? I think it is. It's pretty clear the Riders are looking to uh, play a Canadian at the right tackle spot. You can't have enough depth, and you certainly can't teach six foot eight and three hundred twenty pounds. On that note, folks, we thank you as always for listening to the Three Down Nation podcast. We're going to have a ton of content up on the site from this weekend with all three of us traveling to Toronto for the Combine. Stay tuned to the site. We'll see you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.